Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus's feet listening to every word he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, said Jesus, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Martha has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. This story is from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. The spiritual message that is often taken from this story is that we should strive to be like Mary, to stop our busy work and focus on our spiritual life. This lesson has value, but there is another messier message in this story that I am drawn to these days. Martha came to him and asked, Lord, don't you see that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. These words from Martha might be some of the most relatable words in Christian scripture I have ever found. Although I try not to say these words out loud too often, it is how I feel at times. Lately, I have been exhausted I want to sit at the feet of wisdom, just soaking up the sacred the way Mary was. But how can I when there is so much work to be done? I relate to Martha's emotional journey. She is so proud to be hosting Jesus. She's eager to prepare her home for this most honorable guest. And despite feeling proud and purposeful, Martha is stressed by the amount of work she must do to meet her own expectations. And as she works, she feels frustrated that her sister, Mary, is not helping. And then when Jesus tells her that few things are needed, or indeed only one, Mary has chosen the better, I imagine that Martha feels shame. Imagine how it would feel if Jesus told you that your work was in vain. Yeah, oof. <laughs> as you may have heard, healthcare workers are leaving their jobs at alarming rates. A recent survey suggests that 47% of healthcare workers plan to leave the field by 2025. And I see this every week. I am saying goodbye to someone and wondering, how will I get the work done without you? 
It feels like there is no time to mourn all that has been lost and all that has changed. And then we get the emails, tips on how to sleep better at night, meditation breaks throughout the day. Have you seen your doctor? Are you drinking enough water? The confusing directive to pause and care for ourselves when there is more work to be done than ever before. This is not unique to healthcare. I know that other folks are feeling it too. I join Martha in her emotional journey. I feel pride in the ability to do work that is so deeply meaningful. And I feel frustration under the stress of not having, having the help that I need to do that work well. And I feel shame that in my busyness, I'm not able to be attentive to what is most wise. In an article in the New York Times, Dr. Jesse Gold, a psychiatrist at Washington University in St. Louis, says she knows she's edging toward burnout when she wakes up, feels instantly angry at her email inbox, and doesn't want to get out of bed. Burnout impacts our ability to work, but it also impacts our ability to live. It is a burden on the spirit. Burnout disconnects us from our purpose, the reason we persevere through all life's challenges. It makes us feel numb, bitter, resentful. The good news is, it's possible to break the cycle. We can soften ourselves, the parts of ourselves that are tight and sharp, that inner feeling that leads us to be harsh to our loved ones and cruel to ourselves. And from that space, we can rekindle the light of our purpose and our joy. As I hope you are aware of by this point of time, this is a Unitarian Universalist worship service, not a self-help book. So I am not going to <laughs> talk about the ways that we can get rid of burnout or you know, how we can just fix it, but instead I invite us to notice what spiritual meaning might be here for us in this experience when so many of us may be feeling burned out and how we can love each other through this experience. You may be familiar with the eight principles of Unitarian Universalism. There are also six sources. And the first source of our faith is this, direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. Burnout is a direct experience that has something to teach us. After all, a lotus must grow from the mud. There is something here that we can learn. So let's explore it together by following Martha's emotional journey, naming, accepting, and honoring each step. We'll start with shame and move our way back through anger and pride. Shame expert Brene Brown teaches us that shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. Imagine Martha again when Jesus tells her, you have made the wrong choice. Brown goes on to say, we desperately don't want to experience shame and we're not willing to talk about it, yet the only way to resolve shame is to talk about it. 
Yolo Akili Robinson, a writer, healer, and an advocate for black mental health, was asked to write about shame by Brene Brown and Tarana Burke for their book, You Are Your Best Thing. Robinson writes, not only was I honored, but as a wellness practitioner who has worked with black communities for the past 15 years, I felt like I had so much insight to share. The night I started writing the essay, I just knew the words would fly through my fingers. But the moment I opened my computer to start typing, I felt this sharp sensation pinch my gut. Something was not right. My first reaction was to push past the feeling, so I started to come up with a few academic terms, even wrote a few paragraphs that would make a sociology professor proud, but nothing landed. What I was offering was not embodied, and I felt the emptiness echo through the page. I kept asking myself, why? Why is this so hard for me? Why is writing this so hard? Maybe, maybe I need to rest. Maybe it's COVID brain. Maybe I've gotten in over my head. Finally, after two nights of not arriving at a discernible draft, Robinson decided to take a break. He goes on saying, before the light of my MacBook could fade, the tears started streaming from my eyes. I started sobbing, snotty, wide, open mouth sobs that prompted me, even alone in my apartment, to instinctively look around to ensure that no one could see me ugly cry. I cried because I knew I was not ready to write about shame and that I couldn't write about shame without writing about me. Once Robinson is able to name his shame, not theories of shame, but the actual feeling of it in his body, he's able to write what is true. Systems of oppression have trained him and all of us to feel that we are never enough and that any deviation from the standard white supremacist expectations of how to work, to live, to look, to feel is shameful. I was recently talking to one of my mentors about my own struggles with burnout, about these feelings that I've been feeling, and she encouraged me to slow down and take breaks. I asked her, do you take breaks? She told me that even now, decades into her career, where she has accomplished so much, she has to train herself to not feel ashamed when someone she knows catches her taking a break especially for people of color and people who are socialized as women, the expectation to serve others without ceasing is the standard. In their book, Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle, twin sisters Amelia and Emily Nagowski define this as human giver syndrome. They write, human giver syndrome is a collection of personal and cultural beliefs and behaviors that insist that some people's only meaning in life comes from being pretty, happy, calm, generous, and attentive to the needs of others. It is the contagious belief that you have a moral obligation to give every drop of your humanity to others, no matter the cost to you. The fact that remarkably compassionate and talented people like Yolo Akili Robinson and my mentor feel flawed unlovable and unworthy because they are not able to endlessly be giving, 
peaceful, and perfectly wise all at the same time, it makes me angry. They deserve a break. I feel angry enough to join Martha and say to whoever will listen, don't you care that we are left to do this work by ourselves? The poet David White writes this. Anger is the deepest form of compassion for one another, for the world, for the self, for a life, for the body, for a family, for our ideals, all vulnerable and all possibly about to be hurt. Stripped of the physical imprisonment and violent reaction, anger is the purest form of care. The internal living flame of anger always illuminates what we belong to, what we wish to protect, and what we are willing to hazard ourselves for. The anger, perhaps even rage, we feel in defense of our overworked selves and communities is love. It is love. It is something wise inside of us saying that these oppressive expectations to give endlessly, to be entirely selfless, to sacrifice the spaciousness of our hearts is not acceptable. Our anger does not always come out gracefully, but it comes out with the message that something needs to change. To be a part of that change, to be a part of the work to set things right again for those we love, that can light a flame inside of us. But when we feel that that work is unappreciated or impossible to achieve, that burns our flame out. We have to try to keep that flame, that motivation within us, especially in times like these, when there is so much at stake. But it's hard. And now we find ourselves at the beginning of the cycle, pride. And it feels appropriate for me to call upon the first teacher who ever taught me about burnout, who warned me about it through his writing, which is the Quaker writer and educator, Parker Palmer. Palmer uses his own life to teach us how to live purposefully. He writes about how living in a culture that values limitlessness can lead those of us with ambitions to serve very crispy. The truth is that burnout is possible for all of us, whether we are doing work that makes our hearts sing or work that we drudge through. The pride Martha felt in preparing her home for Jesus and feeling that she was capable and chosen to care for him both lifted her heart and fried her last nerve. Sharing from his experiences, Palmer writes, when I give something I do not possess, I give a false and dangerous gift, a gift that looks like love, but is in reality loveless, a gift more from my need to prove myself than from the other's need to be cared for. Yes, we are created in and for community, but there is in love for one another, times when we need to support one another. Our capacity to love and community means trusting that someone else will be available to the person in need when we need to take a break. Lately, my chaplain colleagues and I have been leaning into trust and community to quell the tides of our burnout. 
we share the work as much as we can. We make space and we try to be creative and playful together. One of my coworkers recently hung up this like giant coloring page of the universe of the solar system on the door to our office. And it's an, invita it's an invitation. So throughout the day, chaplains stop by to color in a, a rocket ship or a constellation and they share about their joys and their challenges. And when we notice that someone is too overwhelmed, someone else steps in to help. Sometimes we need the permission to stop running around the hospital frantically, trying to meet the needs of others and to just be there for ourselves, for one another. Sometimes we just need to color and laugh and talk about things that are not related to work. Perhaps the spiritual lesson of burnout is not that we all collectively need more exercise, more meditation breaks, better sleep, although those things can be good, but that we have an opportunity to really care for one another, to be kind to one another, to listen to each other, to sit with one another when we are frustrated and ashamed and say, it's not just you, I feel it too. We can get through this together. We can make it better. What if Jesus had said, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. What can I do to help? Let's finish this work together. I'd like to close with a poem that is familiar to many of you, I'm guessing, and it might be new to some. And I think that it offers the same invitation. This is Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about your despair and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. Thank you for all that you are doing. I know sometimes it feels like too much. May you be peaceful and at ease. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart and namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Our benediction comes from Yolo Akili Robinson. Sometimes I wake up and have to remind myself there is nothing wrong with me. I have patterns to unlearn, new behaviors to embody and wounds to heal but there is nothing wrong with me and the core 
of who I am. I am unlearning generations of harm and remembering love. It takes time. Let's keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when this service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.